Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. In today's show, we're interviewing Paul Moore. In fact, we liked him so much that we brought him back on for a second episode. You can check out his July 2018 interview where we talked about his background as a commercial multifamily investor and some of his most important lessons that he's learned along the way. Things like high risk does not equal high returns and the importance of giving and knowing when to quit. Also, we talked about the demographics of commercial multifamily investing and the self-storage space and his upcoming book on Warren Buffett's investment principles. We also discussed his huge-hearted passion and the donation plan to fight human trafficking and his fascinating podcast, How to Lose Money. Today, we're going to deep dive into the investment opportunities that he offers through Wellings Capital. Now, you know it's not enough just to make a great income. You have to figure out how to keep more, protect that money, and finally increase and make more through the right investing decisions. But investing itself is just one step in the bigger journey to time and money freedom. And that's why we've created the Business Owner's 3-Step cash flow System to help you create time and money freedom by first keeping more of the money you make, then securing and protecting your money, and finally turning it into more. Now today's conversation is gonna really home in on an investment opportunity that may be right for you to create wealth in a way that you have knowledge and control and increase your cash flow from assets. I do want to remind you that this investment opportunity with Wellings Capital is for accredited investors only, and that is for someone who is making $200,000 per year if they're single, $300,000 as a family and they intend to continue making that much money, or they have $1 million in net worth, not including the value of their home. So I just want to bring that out up front. We do talk about that through the podcast and again at the end, but just wanted to clarify that if you already meet that criteria, that's wonderful. And if not, you're on your way to developing that. So go ahead and listen in to the conversation anyways, as we are helping you to learn what to do so that you can build up to that performance level and be able to invest in accredited opportunities. So a little bit more about Paul Moore. Who is he? Now, after graduating with an engineering degree and then an MBA from Ohio State, Paul started on the management development track at Ford Motor Company in Detroit. Now, after five years, he departed to start a staffing company with a partner. They sold it to a publicly traded firm for $2.9 million five years later. Along the way, Paul was finalist for Ernst & Young's Michigan Entrepreneur of the Year two years straight. Paul later entered the real estate sector where he completed 85 real estate investments and exits, appeared on an HGTV special, rehabbed and managed dozens of rental properties, developed waterfront subdivision, and started two successful online real estate marketing firms. Three successful developments, including assisting with development of a Hyatt hotel and a multifamily housing project, led him into the multifamily investment arena. Paul co-hosts a wealth building podcast called How to Lose Money, and is a frequent contributor to Bigger Pockets, producing live video and blog content on a weekly basis. Paul is the author of The Perfect Investment, Creating Enduring Wealth from the Historic Shift to Multifamily Housing that was written in 2016. And he has a forthcoming book on self-storage investing. Paul is also the managing director of two commercial real estate funds at Wellings Capital. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall, along with my co-host, Bruce Weiner. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. And it's always a pleasure when we have a repeat guest on because I think our audience ought to realize that you and I will only have a repeat guest on one is if they are very, very good. And two, if they're very, very competent. So uh, this will be a nice brisk uh, podcast because uh, we already know the person and it's going to be an exciting one for people to get them to know Paul even better. Absolutely. So we have a special guest, Paul Moore, with us today. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. 
Awesome. Well, we are so excited to have you back. And last time we talked about a lot of awesome ideas that you had, some of your wealth principles. You also mentioned that you were writing a book on Warren Buffett's principles of wealth and that you're also working on another one about self-storage. So tell us, how's the book writing process coming? Yeah, I'm working on two books. You're right. I'm working on Warren Buffett's Rules for Real Estate Investors. That's kind of a working title. Mm -hmm. And so what we're doing is we're taking principles that he has espoused in his 50 years of investment letters, and we're taking them and we're translating them to real estate. So, for example, <clears throat> he said, uh, I don't invest in a lot of tech stocks because I don't know where technology will be 10 years from now, but I know the internet will never change the way people chew gum. And so, we'll take that and we'll say, okay, now what would that mean to a real estate investor? And mm -hmm. so then we, I, I take examples, real world examples from my career and others. And then I just kind of lay that out. And uh, so we've done uh, probably 12 or 14 chapters on that. I'm working on this with uh, two friends and uh, we're just meandering along slowly on that one. And like you said, I'm also working on a book on self-storage. If you go on Amazon, you'll see that there's not a lot of books on self-storage and they're mostly self-published. And, you know, mm. I thought it would be great to write a popular book for investors in the self-storage realm, people who might want to start a self-storage, build one, buy one, or invest in one as a passive investor. So I'm kind of doing a, a brief, kind of a broad brush view of the self-storage industry, which I'm hoping to put out sometime in 2019. Excellent. And I love how you pre-framed. I don't know if you knew this, but you just said writing a popular book. So I love that you are pre-framing that it's going to be popular and <laughs> it will be. I love that. So let's talk. Last time we dug really into kind of who you are as a person and wealth principles that you've learned through your experience. Today, we really want to dig into Wellings Capital, the company that you work with, and really what opportunities are available through Wellings Capital and how you've come across those and what that means for investors. So can you tell us just a little bit about how Wellings Capital got started and, and what you do? Yeah. So after years of ups and downs in real estate and other entrepreneurial ventures, I, I hit 50 years old some years ago, and I, I realized, you know, I don't want to be on the nothing side of a double or nothing type venture uh, <laughs> when the day comes that I can't or don't want to work anymore. And uh, although I don't see that day coming, you never know. And um, so I, um, I thought, you know, what can I do that would be more like hitting singles and doubles rather than grand slams? And um, instead of swinging for the fences, I found that investing in commercial real estate, existing you know, class B, 30, 40 year old, multifamily, uh, things like that would be something that I really wanted to do. Well, we jumped into that. And uh, as you know, we talked about before, I wrote a book on multifamily investing and um, realized, you know, that after banging our head up against the wall for about four years looking for multifamily assets, that the market is completely overheated right now. I mean, this is in mm. small towns, large towns. I just spent some time in LA and San Francisco. and But I also went to small towns like Chico, California, Redding, and Fresno. Multifamily mm. is overheated in all those areas and in, in my area as well, Roanoke and Lynchburg, Virginia. And mm. so we realized, you know, that there are, um, there are other asset classes that have wonderful returns that are recession resistant, but that where there are other opportunities, more buying opportunities, more acquisition opportunities right now, 93% of multifamily properties are owned, uh, 50 units and above, I should say, are owned by corporations. But oh, okay. about 66% of self-storage facilities are owned by single-owned single mom and pop operators and over 90 percent we believe at least of mobile home parks are owned by mom and pop one-off operators and so there's a real opportunity to acquire some of these mom and pop owned facilities that that where the owners don't know or don't care about maximizing income and growing the value of the facility we can acquire one of these in the path of growth 
let's say, a place like Marietta, Georgia, which was a sleepy town outside of Atlanta 30, 40 years ago when I'm thinking of a certain self-storage facility that was built. But now it's a bustling, booming suburb of Atlanta. And um, I've so, lived there actually, so I know that it you? is. Okay, yeah. so you know what I'm talking about when I say, mm-hmm. you know, right off the square in downtown yeah. Marietta on a, on a main road, there are self storage facilities that you know are a little tired that could be acquired, and you know you can add value add. I mean, when I think of self storage, I think of a concrete floor and you know four or five pieces of tin and rivets, but there are all kinds of value add opportunities like adding U haul, adding late fees, adding a showroom with locks, boxes, tape, scissors, um, upgrading, you know, some of the, you know, taking an acre of parking spaces and adding a two-story climate control facility. There are all kinds of things like that that can uh, happen at a self-storage facility. So anyway, about a year, year and a half ago, we realized, hey, I understand this value formula, value creation, value add formula in self-storage and mobile home parks but we don't have a team that's done it. And since it seems to be late in the cycle, though we don't really know what inning we're in, it seems like, you know, I mean, prices across the board in commercial are at record levels. So we thought, well, we understand on paper or from a book how to do this, but we don't have a team that's done it. And Mm. so we didn't really feel comfortable taking millions of dollars of investor money and deploying it into things that we knew on paper how to do. So we decided, Wellings Capital decided to partner with some best-in-class operators in the self-storage, in the mobile home park arena. And what we're doing is we've got arrangements with them where we're bringing together investors to invest in their deals. These are people who have great acquisition pipelines. They've got years of interacting with sellers and brokers across the country. Uh, They know their geographies very well. And uh, so we're partnering with them. We're bringing them money. And we, we did that this year in 2019. We decided it worked well in 2018. We decided to go ahead and formalize it. And we put together a couple of different funds to raise money for these type of deals. Oh, that's excellent. And I love how the collaboration and the teamwork is happening. And you're trying to figure out who has the unique ability and how can we maximize this opportunity for everyone. So let's go ahead and talk about what are um, really some of those strategies that you recommend for people to earn those returns. You talk about a 15% plus safely in an environment where banks are really paying, you know, one to 2% if even, I mean, we know that that's, that's pretty generous, but on savings accounts, CDs, money market funds, but what are those opportunities that you are seeing? And then, and then we'll kind of go into those funds that you're working on right now. So the, you know, the, the value add proposition in self-storage and mobile home parks is pretty powerful. What I'm going to do real quickly is I'm going to back up and talk briefly about a couple things. First of all, I talk to people on Bigger Pockets. BiggerPockets.com is a website that it's a forum for over 1 million real estate investors. It's very active, a lot of passionate people on there. And I talk to people on there every week. I got an email from someone this morning, in fact, and they're talking about how can I grow my single family or small multifamily portfolio, or how can I jump up to a a higher level in that? And a lot of them are spending, I mean, I'm talking about doctors, attorneys, uh, Mm -hmm. IT people, all kinds of people are spending all their waking hours, you know, evenings, weekends, et cetera, holidays, trying to find that elusive house to flip or trying to find that next house to put in their single family portfolio. And I would say to a lot of them, not all of them, because a lot of them love it and are doing well with it, but to most of them, the vast majority, in fact, I would say, why are you working harder than you need to, to make less than you could? Because a lot of these folks, you know, if they could just get over the fact, you know, the thrill of the hunt and the chase, if you will, if they could get over that and just realize, wait, I could actually hand my money to someone who's doing this, who's got it down you know, got down a system to do it and it's got, you know, track record and it's got a team. Um, I could actually make more money passively than I am by swinging a hammer and trying to be Chip and Joanna Gaines Jr. trying to do all this on HGTV. So that's one thing I wanted to address. And that is one group of people that I want to say to, hey, right now, 
it's not the best time to be going out and building this portfolio. It's a time when people like Warren Buffett would say it's time to sell right now, or it's time to hold on and conserve some cash and wait for a downturn. And we don't know when that's going to happen. The mm-hmm. second thing I would say is that comparing commercial real estate to single family or residential real estate is uh, there's a dramatic difference. And I think I might've mentioned this before, but again, if I, uh, have a single family home. And let's say I am Chip and Joanna Gaines Jr. And I can upgrade that home. Let's say it's in Northern Virginia and I bought a home for 400000 And let's say I put in a swimming pool and a really expensive fence and finish the basement, finish the attic, add an addition, put gold-plated fixtures in, and I put a $1.1 million in this house. Well, if the neighborhood is all $400,000 houses, you all know this, you're probably not going to get your 1.1 million back out when you go to sell because residential real estate is based on the comps. But in commercial real estate, commercial real estate, the value formula is very powerful. It's in summary, it's value is income divided by rate of return. Now dialing in on that a little bit more, the value is the net operating income or the NOI divided by the capitalization rate or the cap rate. And so if you take the NOI divided by the cap rate, you get the value. If you can increase the numerator, or if somehow you can compress the denominator, you can dramatically increase the value of a commercial real estate property. You can effectively force appreciation. And so finally, to get around to answering your question, I think a lot of investors can find that by investing in commercial real estate, And by the way, the Forbes 400, almost all of them invest in commercial real estate. There must be a reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can be part of forcing appreciation. They can be part of growing their income uh, wildly, but much more than that, growing the wealth even more because of leverage. And if you want, I can give you a few examples of that. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So Steve Jobs. Wrong guy. No, Jeff Bezos. He went around to all the Amazon facilities in the U.S. Steve's gone. Um, And Jeff went around and he took the light bulbs out of all the vending machines in the Amazon facilities. And people wondered why, you know, like the Lance snacks or whatever. This is good. Yeah. Yeah, And and he said, you know, he said basically, look, it cost, there's a cost of a light bulb. There's a cost of replacing the light bulb. There's the maintenance and there's the electricity. Why waste that money? He realized that he has a price to earnings ratio in his stock and every dollar he can save is a dollar more to the bottom line. Let's say that's a dollar a month. That's $12 a year. Take that $12, multiply it by the price to earnings ratio. And let's just say it's 20 to one. Let's say it's a 20 to one ratio. Um, then you would basically, that means he would be creating 20 times as much value. So uh, 20 times $12 a year, that's $240 of creation of value. And as a stockholder in Amazon, he was very interested in creating more value, obviously, for himself and for his stockholders. Well, it's the same in commercial real estate. Uh, We've got a cap rate. And you've got this value formula. So if you can create a dollar, I've got an operator we invest with. He says, I travel all over the country. He flies all over the country in a uh, net jet from Monday at noon to Thursday evening, going to his different self-storage and mobile home facilities. He says, I'm looking to pick up dollars everywhere I go. I said, well, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. He said, well, I'm looking to save a dollar or add a dollar to the bottom line every time I stop, every time I land my jet, because here's what it does. If I can create a dollar in income, at a mobile home park or self-storage facility, that's $12 a year, divided by the cap rate, which is 0.06, let's say 6% cap rate. He's effectively adding about $200 to the value of that facility, okay? So a dollar translates to 200, but it's better than that because with leverage, let's say there's a 60% loan to value ratio, with leverage, he in a 60% scenario, there are actually div- you divide by 0.4, which is 1 minus 0.06. I'm getting into some math here. Sorry. So that no, $200 divided by 1 minus the leverage, 1 minus 0.6. I should have said 0.6, not 0.06. Um, that they're effectively multiplying by 2.5x. So that $200 in value creation 
is two and a half times as much effect on the uh, actual equity. Now, here's a real example, and I've changed the numbers just around and just to um, just to make easy math. But um, we recently invested in a mobile home park, and let's just say for theory here that we paid five million dollars. Let's say the operator paid five million dollars for this mobile home park. Well, they got sixty percent debt, which means they put three million in debt on it, and they got two million in cash they raised to invest in this $5 million mobile home park. Now they went around and they said, huh, look, there's boats, there's RVs, there's a third or fourth or fifth or sixth car parked in front of that mobile home that we got to clean this place up. And so they went in and they paved an acre in the front of the mobile home park and they put a fence around it, beautiful gate on it. And they said, look, if you have one of these extra items, you got to park it here. And by the way, we're going to charge you for that. And so when they get through uh, cleaning up the mobile home park, then they'll put an ads on Craigslist and they'll put in boat and RV storage. And when they get that all filled up, they're going to be charging a total of, again, in theory, $10,000 a month. Well, it only costs them $100,000 to do this. So in theory, they're going to be bringing in $120,000 a year or 120% ROI annually on this $100,000 investment. That's great. And that's wonderful, but think about the value to the asset and think about the value to the investor. Now, $120,000 a year divided by a 6% cap rate or 0.06 is about $2 million increased value to the asset. Mm-hmm. That's a 40% increase on the $5 million. That's great, but it's better than that because remember, there was only $2 million in equity. All this new $2 million in value flowed to the investor, not the bank. And so the investors just, in theory, doubled the value of their equity by this one simple $100,000 change. That's the power of commercial real estate. That's the power of leverage, and that's the power of forcing appreciation. Investors can passively tap into this by finding an operator like this operator I mentioned and investing with them. And by doing that, They don't have to go out and spend their weekends, evenings, and holidays, you know, finding a single family home to flip to create passive income. They can do it without lifting a finger except to go to the mailbox and collect their checks. That's excellent. So, Paul, in every single situation when we're talking to a a person about whether they're going to save or invest their money, we talk about safety, liquidity, and growth. And though Rachel said earlier in the podcast about safely getting a 15% uh, projected annual return. I think what she really meant was that this is a non-correlated asset to a, to a stock market return. So when, when I look at something like this, uh, is it safe? It's not, we cannot ever say something like this is as safe as putting money into the bank, but is it, is it non-correlated to a stock market investment? Absolutely. So if you think mm-hmm. if you think the stock market is uh, uh, overly inflated, then it's non-correlated to that. Is it liquid? Well, I think you're going to touch on this later on, but this is not a real liquid um, situation. And right. does it? But it does it have growth? Yes. My point is is that whenever you look at um, safety, liquidity, and growth, you can only get two out of the three of those, and you have to decide which one of those two particular things. You would you would like to get so you get safety and in, in income you get growth the liquidity is an issue and that is why um, these investments are not for everyone um, and right. one of the things uh, that we also another group that we might be talking to on our podcast right now is the uh, business owner that is looking for a place to put his capital because they are thinking about retiring, although Rachel and I are trying to help them structure their business so they never retire, but they are thinking about retiring. We do not like putting capital in tax-deferred positions for the sake of, of retiring down the road because that, that gives up the liquidity aspect totally. Um, but in this case, we would consider this a hybrid model because they would give up some liquidity, but they would get, be getting cash flow off of that. Uh, as to offset that lack of liquidity. So this might be a good time to kind of talk about one of your offerings, like your Wellings Income Fund 
uh, number one here. And uh, so that we can help people that are not familiar with how these work and uh, what they should mm-hmm. be looking for. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just want to comment on that, Bruce, real quickly. Yeah. I think at one end of the spectrum, you've got, um, you've got, uh, uh, liquidity, a lot of liquidity, and that would be stock market, uh, bonds, mutual funds, but you've got instability and unpredictability. It might be rocked by the next CEO scandal, a war in the Middle right. East, or just the mood on Wall Street this week. And you've got that at one end of the spectrum. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got stability, predictability. Um, you've got a very clear window from the operations to the profit to the distribution check in the mail, but you've got a significant lack of liquidity. And that's another way of saying, I think, what you said. And I like the way you said that there. Um, The Wellings Income Fund is one of the two funds we're offering. When we were trying to do this, we pulled a lot of investors and some of them said, I don't want any income. Please just grow my assets. I want to be kind of like Berkshire Hathaway. I don't want any distributions along the way. I just want growth. And other people said, I definitely want income. I definitely want to either live off this or have this supplement my income. Well, we couldn't do both real Mm -hmm. well. So we decided to open up two separate Mm -hmm. funds. Uh, The growth fund is all about growth. And then the Wellings Income Fund is about income and growth. And so the way the Wellings Income Fund 1 works is we're investing in self-storage facilities that are already existing, that already have cash flow. Uh, They also have uh, some value-add component typically, and so they're growing and appreciating as well. We're also investing in mobile home parks that are traditionally cash cows, but they have some upside as well. And then multifamily, we're investing in multifamily in theory only right now because we can't find any multifamily, like I said earlier, that makes sense. Now, the income fund, uh, what we do is investors, uh, accredited investors invest a minimum of $50,000. And we pool that together and we invested in large projects. And by investing a large amount, let's say one to two million dollars at a time, we're able to get often a quite a bit better deal from the operator, a quite a bit better return, whether it's a better preferred return, a better split, uh, whatever that is that we and we pass that all along to the investors. Um, but at any rate, what what happens is we invest. And then typically in about four to six years, the operator um, will refinance these properties. I can dive back into that mm-hmm. a minute in a minute. And by refinancing, we're able to return the principal, most of the principal at least, in years four to six to the investor. And then the investor continues to own the shares, but they can take that principal back and they can reinvest that. So effectively, they can grow two trees with one seed. And I think that it's somewhat similar to what you all do because don't you allow investors to take their money out, use it and invest it, but also keep getting, um, they get they continue to get returns from the life insurance company at the same time, very, right? Very good, yeah. We call that it, we call it an, and yes. as, an and asset. So you're, you're saying the th- same thing. You can get it from the first income, investment and you can get it from the second when you get return of the capital after the refinancing. Right. So, so you're getting your, in your case, then what I'm hearing is you're having that money is churning or turning multiple times. So you're putting it to work multiple times, not just once. Right. Yeah, that's right. And so by doing that, we're giving investors, I I wouldn't call it liquidity, but I mean, we are giving them, uh, you know, we're, we're shooting for seven or 8% um, annual return uh, from this in the income fund, and then another seven or eight percent appreciation that they realize, you know, at by the end of the day, seven or eight percent annually. That's seven, seven or eight plus seven or eight is about a fifteen percent total annual return. And I agree with you, Bruce, that it's not you. It's not something we could literally call safe, but like Rachel said, it is. It is grounded in real assets. And it's not like playing, you know, like with Bitcoin that could literally go to a million dollars tomorrow or it could go to zero because it's it's got a completely subjective basis. Commercial real estate's beautiful because it it's a hard asset and it has a real basis because it is throwing off income. And, Paul, and that's what we're looking to invest one in. One of the things that we try to uh, get people to, when they start to understand growth through 
income rather than growth through appreciation. Now, I know you have a appreciation fund too, but people already kind of mm-hmm. understand that. So what they what they look at is they have their stock portfolio, stock bond mutual fund portfolio, and they're hoping to grow it by five or six percent so that they can take off five or six percent and then they preserve the principal. And the reason they want to try to preserve the principal because if the the stock bonds and uh, um, mutual fund portfolio dips by 20, 30 percent the next year and they continue to take off the same amount, the five or six percent for their income, they end up eating into the principal even more and it makes it harder to recover. However, in an alternative investment such as this commercial real estate, you don't even care if the actual appreciation, which you have, you, you're going to do things early on to actually try to mitigate this, but you don't actually care if the commercial real estate value goes down because you're, you're having the same income coming off of it. So you don't have to do something differently to um, affect your, your, your current or future income. And you, then you just simply let the, the boom and bust cycle of the economy return and then that's where you get your back end, your back end total annual uh, uh, return by uh, refinancing these at, at the appropriate time. Uh, would that be a fair way to explain the difference between appreciation uh, on growth and appreciation through income? Yeah, Bruce, that is a great way of talking about it. And I, I don't think I've been on a podcast where someone has brought that uh, that point up. But here is a, another way of looking at that. And, and again, I completely agree. If you're a long-term holder of real estate, well, let's look at a short-term. If I'm a short-term holder, let's say I get an interest-only bridge loan mm-hmm. on something. I'm, ta- I'm rolling the dice. I'm going in at a, let's say, 5% bridge loan, hoping to dramatically increase the value and then flip this property in two or three years. Well, if the interest rates go way up in two to three years and the cap rate which let's say it's been compressed down to 5%, goes up to 7%, the value of the real estate on paper has gone down. Well, if I'm a short-term holder and I get an appraisal and it's gone down, I might not be able to refinance that. I might be in trouble. I might need to have a huge capital call or actually lose that property. But think about what happens if I'm a long-term holder. It's more than, those, what, than what is obvious on the surface because here's what's going to likely happen. The interest rate goes up, the cap rate goes up, and remember our value formula, value is income divided by cap rate. If the denominator goes up, the value goes down on paper. But let's say I have a 12-year loan locked in, and let's say I'm a long-term holder. Well, what will likely happen is the interest rate expands, the cap rate expands, the value drops, but inflation kicks in at that same time period and the rents or therefore the income goes up proportionally to the cap rate. And so if my numerator is going up by, let's say, 15% at the same time the cap rate is expanded, the value formula in theory will keep the value in the same range as it is now. But here's the beauty. Let's say we go through that bust and then boom cycle. What will likely happen is the cap rate will compress again. The interest rate will compress again. But the guess what? Stays, the yep, income, the, the numerator will likely stay right. the same and not compress. Typically, rents don't go back down after mm-hmm. one of those cycles. In fact, when you move from a bust to a boom, income will likely go up even more. And therefore, as a long-term holder of real estate, I get a huge advantage over a short-term flipper. I hope that yeah, makes sense. Exactly. I love how you explain that. And yes, all the more important for the cash flow side, which is maybe different from the appreciation side. But let's dig into a couple things really quick on the income fund. When would an investor expect to start seeing returns if they invested? So our expectation is that we'd be paying returns out after the first full quarter of ownership. So anybody that invests, for example, in the second quarter of 2019 would expect a distribution for the entire third quarter of 2019. Excellent. And then you talked as well about, um, well, with real estate, you have access to tax benefits, things like accelerated depreciation. How does that work with this fund? So uh, accelerated depreciation 
is something that we love because it takes a residential property like multifamily off of a 27 and a half year straight line depreciation and it allows some components like let's say you know the shorter term uh elements like roofs landscaping parking lot uh, surface um, parking lot stripes hvac um uh, lighting uh uh um, carpet, cabinets, countertops, water faucets, etc. All that can be depreciated on a much shorter time frame. And there's actually something, a Section 179 bonus depreciation now, which allows a dramatic uh, shift to a lot of these items into a one-year depreciation schedule. But that's another story. Anyway, so elements like these that can be depreciated sooner allow the depreciation in the early years of the investment to typically be higher and therefore in the income fund though we can never guarantee this because tax laws change and every individual situation could be different but our expectation is based on history at least that our investors would pay very little if any income tax a quick example of that is something that you wouldn't have expected and that's a mobile home park now, I would think of a mobile home park as being principally land, which can't be depreciated. But that's not often how it is. Often a mobile home park could be something like 30% valued in the land, which cannot be depreciated, 35% in the land improvements like utilities, the office, the parking lot, the shrubbery, all that, uh, and then 35% in, get this, goodwill. So 35% in goodwill plus 35% in um, uh, land improvements, that's 70% that can be depreciated over 15-year straight line. Well, oh, interesting. that means that 4.66%, if you do the math, 70% of the value depreciated over 15 years is 4.66% per year. Now, that's if you own it in cash. That's the coverage, the income coverage you'll get from depreciation. But if you own it with 60% loan-to-value debt, again, you multiply by 2.5x, that 4.66% becomes 11.66%. That means you can make 11.6% in income in those 15 years every year. And guess what? You will have a negative number or maybe close to a break-even on your K-1. Pretty good deal for investors. Nice. And I love how you're able to have that value flow over to the investors. Yeah, that's true. So then can you talk a little bit about the growth fund and how that differs from the income fund? I know you differentiated before about the purpose and the reason why investors were looking for both things and you separated them out. What's the difference with the growth fund? So the growth fund is all about appreciation. We're investing in some very safe, we feel like we're carefully choosing, I should say, uh, operators, assets, geographies. Uh, we're investing in some ground up uh, deals like one near Minneapolis, which is in a really uh, insulated location in a residential area of uh, a city near Minneapolis. Uh, this insulated location, basically, they passed the zoning uh, a law change that means that no other self-storage can be built in residential areas in this whole town near Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And they have the future ones have to be buried inside uh, industrial parks, which makes this the location really stupendous. It's on the main boulevard in this town. And uh, this is a booming uh, suburb of Minneapolis that's growing really fast. There's multifamily, townhomes, subdivisions all around this location. It's going to be a class A, beautiful self-storage facility. And it's likely that, um, though it's not certain, that a REIT will come in and want to buy this facility after we get the certificate of occupancy in about 14 months from now. And so if that happens, <clears throat> the investors will have a significant uh, increase in their equity. Um, perhaps it could be something like a double their equity. Uh, that would basically mean we put $10 million into the facility, uh, $3 million of that's equity. If we sell it for $13 million, which is a real low estimate actually, that $3 million in equity would become $6 million. And so what we would do in that case, if that happens, we would actually pay the investors enough to pay their capital gains, and then we would reinvest 
the rest into something else. Our target is to continue to reinvest those dollars in self-storage and multifamily uh, properties that have a heavy value add or a ground up uh, project. We plan to continue to invest and reinvest that money uh, for up to seven years. And again, our target is growth. We don't have any scheduled distributions, though there will be some along the way. Excellent. And Bruce, did you have any specific questions as we um, kind of close up on no, the I, growth um, fund? I understand um, the difference in why people may want it. There's actually, it looks like, Paul, there may be even, uh, this fund may be even a little potentially more liquid than the income fund, uh, which kind of makes sense to me. Is that correct? I wouldn't necessarily say it is more liquid. I, I think it will be throwing off okay. profits, okay. That makes um, actual profits mm-hmm. sooner, uh, w- but it won't have necessarily the refinance component in four to six years. Uh, I, I think it's likely that between years four and seven, we'll be winding down a lot of these projects and we'll be distributing cash back to the investor. Our target, again, our target return on this is 19 percent annually nice so if an investor is looking at these opportunities right now and they're saying okay is this for me i mean there's a lot of questions that they are going to be going through one is do i want to build my own portfolio or do i want to invest with someone else that can handle my goals and objectives and invest in ideal markets and produce either that cash flow or the appreciation that i'm looking for but if somebody is looking at Wellings Capital um, at this point, we're talking about the expected returns that they're going to get. What would be any potential risks that you would say you would want an investor to be aware of? Well, yeah. First of all, um, there's not there in th- there theoretically is not a risk that they would be sued or that they would be on the hook for any more than the capital they invested. In fact, that is in our PPM. But um, uh, an investor could lose up to all of the principal that they invested. That's always a risk with this type of investment. And that's what differentiates us from a truly, truly safe, you know, money market, one or 2% bank loan that, you know, is guaranteed FDIC insured, all that. Um, so, uh, that is certainly a risk. Uh, the biggest risk for like the growth fund, for example, is that we will not fill up the, uh, that we will not fill up the, uh, self-storage facility. We, we could go in, let's say this one in Minneapolis and, uh, let's just say two more self-storage facilities get zoning approval and beat us to market and they, uh, open up before we do, or at the same time we do. That is certainly a risk. And uh, that is one that we take very, very seriously. And we check out very thoroughly. We've made two trips to Minneapolis uh, since we decided we might want to invest in this asset. We checked with the county planning and zoning people, the city. We checked the area. We drove the competitors. It's something we take very seriously. In the mobile home park, you know, if you look at the uh, the line of uh, the income and the growth and uh, mobile home parks, the manufactured housing uh, communities over right through the recession, you don't really see a blip. You don't see a downturn. There was a downturn in multifamily, single family, self-storage, other commercial asset classes like office and retail. You don't see a downturn in mobile home parks. And one of the reasons is, you know, there's a decreasing supply every year mm-hmm. in America, but there's a stable or increased demand every year. You know, 10,000 people a day turn 65, yet about half of them have $10,000 or less saved for retirement. And so mm-hmm. there is a significant uh, belief that there will be an increasing demand for mobile home park living as people trade the couple hundred thousand dollars perhaps they have in home equity in to buy a nice mobile home and then they can live for three or four hundred dollars a month at a mobile home park and a lot of people including a doctor i know a successful doctor i know who retired decided to take this path and so there's an increasing demand a decreasing supply it's hard to figure out how mobile home parks could go down in value but i am sure there is some way it could happen. And, uh, you know, there's, there's some 
bad press out there about mobile home park owners. And so, you know, who knows? But mm-hmm. we, we, there's always a risk and everybody needs to know that they could lose up to all their principal in a deal like this. And I appreciate you sharing that and, and just being um, honest and open about that, that transparency as well. When somebody invests with Wellings Capital, where is their money being held? Who's, who's holding the money and who's investing the money? So the money comes to Wellings Capital and we don't actually take money until we're ready to invest it. And so we look actively for projects and for operators to invest with. And we, as soon as possible, deploy that money into a self-storage mobile home park or multifamily project. And so we're investing that with an operator in their LLC. And then we're giving our investors quarterly statements and hopefully quarterly returns. Excellent. Excellent. And um, so then I wanted to ask you kind of this question as we were closing as well. You guys had, I was looking at your website and this might've been a while ago, you had a promise that um, the investor would make returns if you as Wellings Capital make returns. And I think I'm probably paraphrasing and doing a bad job of botching that up. But what do you mean by that? And how do you guys um, follow through on that? Can you help me with that again, Rachel? I'm sorry. Well, I think what she's, I think what she's talking about is on the back end, the 80-20 uh, above preferred returns. Yes, and thank that's, you. That's basically your, stri- your fee structure, right, Paul? Yeah, right. So what happens is um, we, have what's, we give what's called a preferred return. And Rachel, you're correct. Um, any income that we have that's distributable, 9% per year first uh, of distributable cash flow, I should say, goes to the investor. So that's called a 9% preferred return. And then there's an 80-20 split above that. So if we surpass 9% in a given year, and that's cumulative. So if they're at 7% one year, they bank to 9 minus 7 two for the next year, but that accumulates. Okay. And then anything above 9% return in a given year, uh, we split 80% to the investor, 20% to us. So we believe that this aligns our investors' interests with ours because they're getting paid. Uh, in general, they're getting paid first, although there is a 1% annual fee to run the fund. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. So, Bruce, about the funds or the investment opportunity or Wellings Capital, is there anything else that we need to explore before we bring this to a close? No, I just think today? I just think once again, it's always good to um, to remind people that this is only for an accredited investor, uh, somebody that's making a single person making two hundred thousand dollars the last two years and and has a reasonable expectation that they will continue to make that much, or three hundred thousand dollars for a couple, and they the last two years and they and they have a reasonable expectation they will continue to make that. Right, uh, going forward, or they have one million dollars of liquid net assets. So I just, I'd like yeah. to just, we have a lot of clients that have the kind of, have that kind of business cash flow. Although, although not always the business owner actually shows that in the form of actual net profit because of the tax advantages they have. But we could, we can actually uh, work on that and see who's who's accredited and who's not before they reach out. And probably Rachel, we could. We should talk about how people can get a hold of Paul. Yes, absolutely. So, Paul, can you share how would somebody connect with you if they were interested in investing or looking at your books or just checking out more information about Wellings Capital? So they can come to our website. Of course, it's wellingscapital.com. That's W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S-C-A-P-I-T-A-L, wellingscapital.com. And they can register there if they choose to. And then they can look at all the details of the Wellings Income Fund or the Wellings Growth Fund. They can set up a time to talk to me or Ben, and we can uh, go through uh, what we're doing and answer any questions anybody would have. Excellent. So that is wellingscapital.com. And you can go directly to the website. And it sounds like they can schedule a time to talk directly with you, which I would highly recommend if somebody is interested and wanting to pursue this as an opportunity for them to invest their dollars and really make sure that that is producing a return for them. So Paul, is there anything that you would like to share, any additional tools and resources or words of wisdom that you would like to share as we wrap up this episode today? Yeah, you know, I like to say this a lot because I've got a podcast called How to Lose Money. 
And um, um, we we love having you on, Rachel, and we uh, are um, thank you. Excited. It was a blast. Yeah. <laughs> so we what we do on that on that show is we talk about uh, we talk to successful entrepreneurs, investors, and executives on their losses on the road to success. And almost everybody I've ever talked to has had some losses along the way. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of those losses come from this. I think we often confuse speculating with investing. You know, investing, I talked about this on your other show. Investing mm-hmm. is when your principal is generally safe and you have a chance to make a profit from it. Speculating is when your principal is not at all safe and you have a chance to make a profit. And so I, it's fine to speculate. I mean, Jeff Bezos, we talked about him before. Steve Jobs, we almost talked about him. <laughs> they speculated and they made a lot of money for them and their investors. But for every one of those, <clears throat> there's probably a thousand, if not what, 10,000 maybe that failed or didn't make the money for their investors. So it's fine to speculate, but just please realize when you're speculating, you know, consider maybe keeping some dry powder and only doing the speculation thing with a small part of your assets. I made a, I have a friend who made a lot of money in Bitcoin and he was able to sell when it hit a high dollar amount. But I have a lot more friends who invested and they actually lost money. And so that's a complete speculation play. I recommend most people consider investing. In fact, if you talk to people like Warren Buffett, you'll find that they only invest And that's my kind of final word of wisdom there that people consider the difference between investing and speculating and really think through, you know, the the fact that investing is like Warren Buffett talked about a snowball that just gathers and grows over many, many years. And that's what we want to do at Wellings Capital. Well, excellent. And we talk about investing in what you know and control. And if you don't have the knowledge and control, then invest with someone who does have that knowledge and control, um, like Wellings Capital. So as we close today, thank you, Paul, for being with us today. Thank you for sharing those opportunities. And I highly encourage our listeners to reach out if that's something that you're interested in. And you can talk to us first as well on a strategy call and figure out if you're qualified and how to become so, so that you can invest in these opportunities. So in closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Do you have an established business and make great income, but feel like you can never get ahead or just plain have financial confusion? Get the business owner's three-step roadmap to achieve time and financial freedom without working harder or sacrificing your lifestyle. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash roadmap to get your roadmap and free training. And when you register, you'll also get access to our ultimate money finder cheat sheet that you can use to recover lost cash flow and save on taxes. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.